Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hi, folks, and welcome to the Yale Sustainable Food Project's Chewing the Fat series. I'm Shizue Rochidachi, filling in for Leland Whitehouse, and today I'm joined in the studio with Chris Boswell. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Uh, Chris comes to us from the Rome Sustainable Food Project, where he is the executive chef. Founded in 2006 through a partnership between the American Academy in Rome and Alice Waters, the RSFP transformed the academy by creating a collaborative dining program that, and now I'm quoting from your website, mm-hmm. nourishes scholarship and conviviality. Chris has been with the project since its founding following a five-year stint at Chez Panisse and has since published two cookbooks with the RSFP. So Chris, welcome. We're Thank really you. excited Thank you, you for could, having you me. Come too. It's wonderful to be here. Um, so I offered up a brief, very brief description of what the RSFP is, but uh, would you mind elaborating how exactly did it did it come to be? Uh, yeah, so the American Academy in Rome um, is an institution uh, that uh, basically uh, awards scholarships. Um, You actually win something called the Rome Prize, and it's a community of artists, composers, historians, scholars, fellows, Um, and so basically artists and scholars, and they they win this Rome Prize, and they're allowed to live for 11 months in Rome. Uh, Most of the the artists and the composers are there for creative freedom, whereas the um, you know the scholars are there to do research and um, you know archaeology and um, there's especially a um, big section of the library. There's 110,000 volumes is um, on architecture actually, hmm. and so what happened before was the throughout the history of the academy there was never really a solid dining program or really good food, which was ironic. So you can go on the website and you'll hear these testimonies of people who said, you know, you're going to live like a king and be in this place that's completely amazing and be surrounded by, you know, these great intellects and, you know, you know, wonderful minds. Yeah, I've heard the food compared to airplane food. Yeah. It's best. (laughs) Yeah. And um, so that's what was missing. And what you had was a situation where you have all these people together and you want them to cross-pollinate. You want them to be having conversations and talking about various subjects. But that wasn't happening because there wasn't a place where it was happening frequently. Um, So you have these talks, these lectures, discussions, and people gather there. But the con- there was no place for the for the conversation to continue, and that's why they uh, approached Alice to start a food project, so that they could have that. So in two thousand and six, um, it was founded. Two thousand and seven in February, we served our first meal, and it's been rolling ever since. And you've been with the project since the beginning, correct? Correct. So how were you brought on? Um, well, I was brought on because um, Alice had already chosen Mona. And You're talking about Mona Talbot. Mona Talbot, yep, who, who was, was the founding chef, and I was the founding sous chef. And I was actually only supposed to go for um, six months. And the idea was that it would be a rotating um, sous chef job with cooks from Chez Panisse in Berkeley. Um, but when I got there, um, it became evident pretty early on that um, the fact that I spoke Italian because I had lived in Italy before, uh, it made it sort of vital that I was there because um, Mona spoke French, but not Italian. So, um, and the way I got there in the first place was my chef went to Alice, and the chef, who's now the downstairs chef, um, named Cal Peternell, he went to Alice and said, I think that you should be sending Chris. So it was like, you know, 
a plug from a very good friend and colleague uh, and mentor to me. So it was really, really kind of him to do that. And I got to stay there for um, seven years now. Wow. Pretty, pretty lucky break there. Yeah. yeah. Because you had studied uh, food in Italy prior to this, correct? Correct. I lived in um, Molise. I wanted to have an, an experience um, that was very rustic and more tied to the land. Um, and so I lived in this place where um, it's called uh, Campitello del Matese. And it's a place where they, they, you know, there's a flat land, but then there's this giant mountain. And so they still take the herds of sheep and the cattle up the mountain in the spring and let them graze on the on the highland oh, wow. grasses and wild herbs and flowers in the summer. Um, and then in the fall, they bring them back down the mountain. So, you know, it was a great experience because especially with the cheeses, you really taste the difference um, you know, w- in the winter, how the cheese tastes versus in the in the spring and the summer when they start eating the wildflowers and the and the grasses. So you you know now you can distinguish between the flavors of those cheeses. But did you come from a very foody background? Uh, was this in your blood, so to speak? No, definitely not. Um, you know, my mom, um, <clears throat> my mom and dad um, had a hard time because. My dad had a business in the Bay Area, but we were actually living um, near Lake Tahoe, California. So my dad would commute to the Bay Area for the work week and then be home on the weekends. Um, But I started working in restaurants when I was 14 years old. So as soon as I could legally work, I got a job. And so my mom basically had to um, like raise us, you know, during the week. And then once we uh, once I got a job, then, you know, I very rarely um, saw them. But my mom wasn't the greatest cook, and she didn't love cooking, um, whereas my dad did. So I did, you know, get a little bit of the passion and the idea. But all of my memories, really, in childhood are f- surrounded by food moments. So I remember certain cakes that I had for a birthday. I used to have eating contests with these terrible school lunches. But I just <laughs> have always loved eating my entire life. So it was a it was a natural thing for me to become a chef. It was it just seemed so seamless, really. So it seems you're drawn to food not uh just for the gastronomic importance, but rather for also the community it's it seems to engender. Um right. and how does that translate into your work with the Rome Sustainable Food Project? Um well, you know, our um objective, my colleagues and I um so both Alice and Mona, we sat down and, you know, realized what the institution needed. It needed this little breath of life. It needed to have gathering power. And, um, you know, we all have to, we all have to eat. Um, we all have to drink liquids. We all have to breathe air. So food is just such a natural thing to gather around because it is one of the things that we have to do. And, um, you know, I like to think of this, the new book that Michael Pollan wrote, um, Cooked. He sort of talks about where culture sort of started was the moment we started to gather together at a meal. And the mm-hmm. idea that we were trying to get the cross-pollination of all these cultures that are at the present at the American Academy in Rome, um, it was really, you know, that was, our, that was our inspiration, was to gather people. So it was like you had all these sort of brilliant minds, but no cohesive sense of, of cultural uh, exchange. Yeah, well, it there was, but it just wasn't as profound and as deep as it could. You know, you, what you had was um, an experience where there, w- there was an art opening or there was a lecture or a talk. 
but people then weren't continuing the conversation. They were going mm. out to dinner. The groups were fragmenting. So, you know, a group of these people would go out six to this restaurant, six to this restaurant, and 20 people would come to dinner. And now we have, you know, we're 60, 70, 80 people. Um, can come to a meal uh, on any given, you know, talk night or lecture. Um, and, you know, we changed the dinner times and all that just because it is so fundamental to the community to have that moment. Right. And, and it, to, sorry. No, continue. To continue the discussion is how, you know, the wording that we always like to say, because it's not the star of the American Academy in Rome, but it is that glue behind the scenes that brings a lot of things together. Hmm. Right, because there's a way in which you can you speak at the table and engage at the table that right. is, right. you know, you can't you can't even try to attempt it at something right. like an like an art gallery. And I imagine you're also building off of you know the the very Italian Roman tradition of sort of the the uh, conviviality of the table. Absolutely, you know we. Um, because we're cooking for the same community, um, you know, we do 11 meals a week. Um, we do have to change up the menus and the style of food. So we tend to wait five, four, five months um, of doing a lot of pasta, a lot of Italian dishes, traditional plates. And, you know, around Christmas time, they kind of come to you and say, you know, anytime you want to do something different, that would be really awesome. <laughs> so, you know, we really, you know, wait till they can't take it anymore. And then we start doing other types of dishes. But the the, the Roman cuisine um, and Italian cuisine in general is definitely our, our, um, our guiding spirit there. And then we, you know, are also guided by the principles of sustainability, which both Mona and I worked at Chez Panisse. And, um, you know, there's still so many farmers um, in Italy. You know, th it is a dwindling number of people because a lot of younger people are not wanting to farm. They're wanting to move to the cities. But there are still so many um, farmers and people who are making cheese and raising meat. And to, it's definitely possible to have that connection to the farmer and to the land. And so as far as your sourcing goes, you're, you're drawing from those farmers, those artisans. And you have a farm yourself, right? A small raised bed. Well, we have um, 14 raised beds, and they're about a meter and a half by two and a half meters. Um, and last year, we produced uh, about 5,000 pounds of vegetables oh, wow. um, from those Not raised so beds. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also have some fruit trees and some olive trees. So we, we, we were able to get about 60 liters of olive oil. Uh, we jarred over 400 jars of jam, you know, 300 uh, or so um, jars of orange marmalade and another 150 of um, like plum jam. Um, so there's those various things, and you know we are nonprofit, so they all the money that is that's from those sales just go back in to help support the project. And so you're engaging both at the table and with the food on your plate and your neighbors around you at right. potentially this farm as well, right? Correct. And are there any other sort of relationships that are facilitated by the project? Well, we also have interns. Um, <clears throat> so we have an internship program that is really um, amazing, um, really interesting. Um, and we get people from all over the world, um, different ages. Um, some people are career changers. Some people are food people from the very beginning of their lives and their careers. And other people are there to sort of um, feed a curiosity and see if it's something that they want to pursue is, you know, uh, some sort of work in food because there are so many different jobs. We don't all have to be cooks or farmers. There's right. so much to do in food. 
And what we try to do is nurture that passion um, out of them and show them, you know, uh, ways of simple techniques of cooking, ways of growing the food techniques of why an ingredient is the way it is, that micro-seasonality. And they're composting from day one. They're chopping vegetables and cooking dishes from day one. So it's a very dynamic internship. And the other thing is that they're then part of the community with these fellows who live in the in the community. And it's amazing to see the how much they're embraced by these other people who are already usually really well established in their fields and, you know, are considered some of the top people in the country, some of them even in the world in their respective um, fields. And they, you know, completely embrace these young people and take them into the community and make them feel like a part of the community. So, And that seems particularly dynamic in the fact of, you know, physically bringing in sort of food leaders or, or thought uh, drivers into this conversation with artists right. and and academics in, right. in that way. Absolutely it is. And the other really interesting thing is sometimes, you know, there's people who are doing, they're researching food history, like what role has food played it in certain points in time, whether it's, you know, the Catholic Church or um, in cuisine or when there's like famine or drought and how, you know, they're they're researching all these some, sometimes we've had people that have access to the Vatican secret archives and are looking at these crazy documents, and they, you know, they tell us about these things that they find. So we've had all these interesting little tidbits about food that have also been fed to us, you know, reverse-wise. We're feeding the community food, but sometimes they're also feeding us knowledge as well. Yeah, and I think that connection um, is particularly compelling to me in terms of the fact that it's really challenging the notion of sort of, you know, the American cafeteria at an institution where right. everyone producing your food is, you know, in the back and there's no sense of exchange or, or community. They're very disparate circles that yeah. you're moving in. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, hearing you say that now, you know, it may, it reminds me that people do have this idea that cafeteria food can't be good and it's not true. Um and it can be healthy, too. There's so many, you know, grains, greens, beans, vegetables is the base of our diet. And it's, you know, offset with eggs and cheese and a little bit of meat. We only serve meat at four out of the 11 meals. Hmm. And just this recent, you know, fall, we were doing sometimes even three times a week. Because in the fall in Italy, you have such a bounty of, you know, you have all the things coming from the winter and the fall, the fruits and the pomegranates and the figs and all that. But you have the bounty of all the summer plants that are still exploding and, and still ripe with things to harvest. So um, that moment is, um, you know, really great. And there's no need to have meat all the time. We don't need to eat that much meat. And there's various forms of protein. And so Right. And I think you bring up an important point that, you know, this sort of maybe listening to the sort of food that you're offering at the Rome Sustainable Food Project to the Academy, it sounds very foodie, sounds also very pricey. And I think um, it's important to draw out the fact that this was integrated into a model to be not only environmentally or culturally sustainable, but also fiscally sustainable and, and supporting that institution. Correct. They, they do, um, you know, the, the, the budget for the project um, is about an 11th of the overall budget for the academy. So they have, they made a huge commitment and a huge statement saying that this is so important to our work that we're trying to do and to this experience and to get the cross-pollination that, that the institution so desperately needed. They needed that next 
continuation of the conversation, as I've said, you know, already. In, and they were willing to um, to pay that money, but it is nonprofit. There are ways to, um, you know, the jams and things that we sell that goes right back to that. And, you know, f- as far as getting donations, people are interested in education. Right. You can find people who will donate money for education. And when it's a good cause and you have a well-structured program and people, re- you change people's lives, um, people, they will back you. They will get behind that. So it was a huge statement, I think. Um, you know, and I'm very proud of it, and I know that they are too, and they weren't anticipating it being so successful. So when the when their initial idea for a budget was blank and we went double over that, um, it was double because it was a huge success. So instead of having 20 people at dinner, we I mean, we had people the first year when we first changed in February of 2007 were almost in tears when they had to go out to dinner or oh, go to wow. another event. They just did not want to leave because they had the first <laughs> six months of their time there. They had the, the the horrible cafeteria food, frozen fish and reheated meats and weird, you know, sauces, and you just didn't know what you were eating sometimes. And when we switched over, it you really saw like, wow, okay, this is making a difference and this is a huge success. And then after that, it was about trying to sustain that model and come up, you know, get consistent numbers and um, creating systems and seeing what works and what doesn't. And we knew that from the beginning, we wanted to have, you know, part of being a sustainable food project, we, we were going to compost, period. We were going to use that compost in the garden, and we were going to try to grow as much off those 14 raised beds as we possibly could. And there was already fruit trees that were there, so why not make jam? There's olive oil that was made already every year from the olive trees. So there was already a lot of pieces in play. We just sort of took the threads and, you know, made the rope. Right. And then that way also embedding it very much into into that community and what what existed as opposed to sort of imposing this this thing onto the academy. The other thing um, is that, you know, Italians um, are very passionate, very opinionated about food. (laughs) But when they saw us, you know, the other workers who were there, when they saw us, harvesting the stuff off the land the gardeners were then happy because all of their work to make the land beautiful but the fact that it also became productive um, you know they were also really happy to see that and they felt like part of the process it really helped unite a lot of things in the institution itself right and I think I mean we're gesturing towards beyond having this uh, large institutional impact and also kind of being this model for institutions in terms of incorporating a more sustainable food uh, image and a food culture. I think obviously the Rome Sustainable Food Project is in conversation with a lot of things going around, uh, going, happening around the world in terms of this good food sector. And so I wonder how you think yourself and and the project in general um, are part of this burgeoning movement, or maybe not burgeoning, it's it's pretty established by now. Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I think that um, it is well on its way, but I think that the movement will only get bigger. So as much as we feel like um, it's started or it's it's blossoming now, it's it's only getting started, I think. Alice likes to refer to it as the power of gathering. Um, and, m- you know, the metaphor that that implies, because you're gathering in so many different ways. You're gathering tradition. You're gathering culture. You're gathering people. You're gathering a workforce. You're, you know, you're harnessing all of this a tremendous effort and energy that goes into doing this thing that we do have to do every day, you know, n- maybe not every day, but we, we try to eat every day and 
you know, like two or three times a day. And if you're like me, I just almost eat constantly every day. <laughs> so um, I think that where the academy plays an interesting role is because we have interns who come to us from all over. You know, we've had people from Ireland, Korea, uh, Mexico, Japan, um, Canada, Scotland, England. Um, we've also had Italians, which is a huge honor you know if you tell an italian i went to the american academy to learn how to cook they're going to look at you like you're crazy um but you have all these people that come from walks of life from all over the world and the same is true of the fellows who are there um they come from all over the u.s and some of them originated from other countries in the first place as well but what you have is this idea of like a spore that comes and you they really some people most everyone gets it and loves it. And you have a few people every year that are, you know, food either isn't important to them or they don't really like the food or, you know, for whatever reason. And oftentimes the next year when they go back home, we'll get a letter and say, I'm so sorry, I didn't get it. <laughs> I get it now. Really? And they'll send pictures of us, to of them going to a farmer's market or they really go out and seek local markets and seasonal produce after there. So we have the ability to change these 30 Rome Prize winners and all of their partners um, or their families that come with them, but there's also these affiliated fellows and visiting artists and scholars who come to the academy. So, you know, we're changing, you know, 150, 200 people's ideas about food a year, and then the fact that they go back to their respective places of, of origin um, they start seeking that out, and it creates more demand. And when there's more demand, we're going to have to make changes. You know, s subsidizing and, and the farm bill, something is going to have to change, and we're on that path, and we're just all a part of it. So, you know, collectively deciding that we want to eat better, that we want better food is absolutely what's happening. Right. It's definitely more than a, than a food mission. It's an educational yeah. mission. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's... Uh, the, the impacts and ramifications are, you know, on the environment and the way we are raising things. It's 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 a really profound um, um, choice that we're make that society is making, and we're winning people over every single day. So it's a powerful, powerful movement. Yeah, and I think that you know you also published uh, two cookbooks mm -hmm. with the in partnership with the project, correct? Right. Correct. And and I think. Uh, you know, seeing the success of those and also building on the fact I was reading some of the blurbs that, that are attached and the idea that the pasta cookbook, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is the title? Uh, the pasta one is just called Pasta. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. And then the, um, the one that just came out on the 25th is called Verdure, so vegetables. Well, and the idea that, you know, teaching, you know, the, the, the pasta, the way that the interns learn and sort of right. bringing that educational experience into right. each individual's home, is that yeah. sort of part of... You know, it's it's a cookbook, but it's also outreach, I think, in a, in a certain respect. Absolutely. You know, when um, <clears throat> Elena Goldblatt, who's the co-author, and um, basically was able to take my crazy blurbs and spiels and things that I, you know, tend to do in the kitchen, and I make all these noises because there's different <laughs> pitch, you know, when people come and cook with us, like, I'm trying to make them use their senses as well so that you're not following just a book but mm. that you're following um you're using your taste buds you're smelling you're tasting you're um listening to the changes in a pan like when something is searing when something is burning um 
that you can hear that. You, in fact, we teach them, like most of the spots in the kitchen, your back is actually to the stove. So you need to be able to put something in a pan and do that. So tran- like transitioning all of that idea and thought process into the book, Elena did an amazing job of getting those ideas because I want to teach you how to cook. I don't want to teach you how to just follow a recipe. I want to give right. you ideas about how to approach. I want to... Um, give you certain explanations and given the fact that I had been there for five years teaching before you know I wrote that first book the pasta which was the third book in the series because Mona wrote zuppe and biscotti so cookies and soups Um, but the fact that I'd been teaching for five years really gave me the opportunity that I knew where students tended to make mistakes I knew where you would fall off task I knew where you would have a question and so we really tried to it was very difficult because the form factor it's a small book but it's packed with knowledge, and um, I tried to make sure that it was all um, instituted at the one point where I thought people were going to go wrong because I had seen them go wrong at that junction several times before. And so it seems this sort of cookbook uh, is now part of your relationship to the project and, and sort of one of the things you're juggling, but I wonder, moving forward, are there, are there other projects on your horizon? Are there other ways in which... You know, what is what is the growth for you and also for the project that you hope to see in, I don't know, the next five, ten years? Well, um, you know, the 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 growth of the project, the recipes, the book really helps lay a foundation so that no matter who comes after Mona left or when I leave, no matter who comes, that there's a documented text Hmm. that's there that shows the recipes that we were doing. And it's not all of the recipes. It's a big core of them, however, and it shows the influences that were there that were um, things that we were also learning because, you know, I'm not the master, but I'm the student. Um, And there's a lot to be learned in Italy. And so I think that, you know, the next phase of the project is to continue. um, It's funny because each year is different. You put 30 people together and you don't, they're chosen based on their skill and their talent, not on how well they may or may not go together with somebody. So you never know. Some years there's more families and you need to do more kid-friendly stuff. Some years um, there's a lot of allergies or there's certain things that you just can't work with. So those are the things that the, the project itself will continue to grow and we've gotten um, more and more um, like higher yields basically and more efficient at working the land and using the land that we have, that small space. Um, I think those are the things that will continue to evolve in the project, um, which just lead to its entrenchment, hopefully, in the institution. You know, in 50 years, I want to go back and see that the project's still there and still teaching young people and still working the land and having that connection. It's be a tremendous honor to know that, you know, you put all of that hard work in there and right, really have, paid off. Have the alternative be <clears throat> institutionalized, you know, have it. Right live past your your tenure there and right. and continue on feeding people yeah um and as for you do you do you plan to stick around in in rome for yeah well um i'll be uh leaving this uh this summer will be my last year and i am relocating back to the bay area um you know it's been amazing to be there for seven years but at some point it becomes hard to be away from your family um and like such, at such a big distance, my family's all from California, so it's really it's eighteen hours just to get home every time, and mm-hmm. um, so that's that's been hard. And it's you know I've I learned so much, and um, I'm going to be leaving the uh, my former sous chef Chris Bear in charge, and he's been there with us for 
three years, and uh, he's very capable and doing an amazing job. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I wish you all the best and also Thank the you. idea that, uh, you know, leaving leaving one area, one sort of spore, as you called it, in, yeah. in Rome, and I don't question you'll, you'll go on to... Uh, be in another sort of spore <laughs> location. Yeah, yeah. Continue, continue the good work. But yeah. thank you so much for joining us thank in the studio so today. Chris thank Boswell, uh, executive chef of the Rome Sustainable Food Project. I'm Shizue Rochidachi, and this was a Chewing the Fat series from the Yale Sustainable Food Project. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at yale.edu slash sustainable food.